5 p.m. You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And on today's episode of The Punch-Out... Post-election day episode of The Punch-Out. We've got all sorts of great things for you, as we always do. From China's biggest company taking a big hit, Ethiopia in a very tricky situation could lead to some serious military clashes there. But before we get to all that, first we will go to the blue wave. That wasn't. Everybody's to leave here immediately. This cafe is closed until further notice. Clear the room at once. How can he close me up? On what ground? I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everybody out at once. We too are shocked. Just shocked that the Democratic blue wave turned out to be more of a splash. I don't know if we're really all that shocked, to be honest with you, but nevertheless, that is the case. The presidential race is still deadlocked currently, but I can tell you for absolute certain here that no matter what, this is true, 100%, the next president of the United States will be someone who at some point in their life supported segregation. So yeah, that means it could be Biden or Trump. Now, in terms of what we do know, we do know for sure that the Democrats failed to take back the Senate last night, showing that whatever happens, Republicans will have tremendous power in the government moving forward. Now, that's a very notable point. Given that former Vice President Biden has aggressively touted his bipartisan bona fides, pledged to work with Republicans, told rich donors that he won't pursue progressive policies, and he has even vetted various right-wing figures for cabinet positions. So, we can say, definitely, for sure, that whoever becomes president, there is not going to be any major change in the offing, and in fact, the trend line we are on now may not even change that perceptibly. There is at least one bright spot for the Democrats in the Senate, though, and that is in Georgia. Their candidate, Raphael Warnock, in a special election, is advancing to a runoff where he at least has a shot to win against current Senator Kelly Loeffler. Now, in terms of the various down-ballot races, many of which we mentioned to you yesterday, there's honestly just too many to summarize, so I can't say them all, but here are some highlights. Voters roundly rejected the war on drugs. Oregon decriminalized all drugs and voted to spend more money on drug treatment. South Dakota, Montana, Arizona, and New Jersey all legalized marijuana. There is more that even happened here, but this is a continuation of a clear trend over the past five or so years of voters rejecting the war on drugs, and that seems directly connected to the growing critiques of mass incarceration that started in a big way in 2011. So major turnaround in terms of people's attitudes on that. In the state of Florida, Voters approved a $15 an hour minimum wage by a supermajority. That's over 60%. So that means even some Trump supporters weighed in positively on that one. In Arizona, voters also decided to tax the rich in order to fund the schools. Sounds like a pretty good proposition to me. Unfortunately, though, in Illinois, taxing the rich did not succeed. And in what I believe is the most expensive ballot measure campaign in the history of ballot measure campaigns, over $200 million spent by Uber and Lyft so that those major corporate giants were able to win 
Proposition 22, behind an unbelievable fog of lies and distortions, all just to make sure that they can keep aggressively exploiting their own workers. Now, in Miami-Dade County, Florida, and Charleston County, South Carolina, elected officials Also in other places, by the way, elected officials critical of local cooperation with ICE also succeeded in winning some offices. So one clear conclusion we can draw about all of this is that consciousness is not linear. People hold a wide variety of views in ways that can even be contradictory. But what is also clear is that there is no political voice for the most progressive policies and members of both parties often champion the most regressive of causes. So yes, it's true that people hold ideas contradictorily, but it's also true that there isn't a political political force that's trying to distill all of this and create a real program for working class, poor and oppressed people. Uh, There's so much to say about all of this, to be honest with you. I can't even say it all here. So I've got good news for you. I can tell you that once again, Breakthrough News is doing a live broadcast on election issues. Countdown to chaos continued. This time starting at 9.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Great guest, great analysis, letting you know where we are in all this election nonsense tonight at 9.15 Eastern Standard Time. Check us out on BT Newsroom across all your social media platforms. A lot of talk in the U.S. about civil war in, you know, who knows? Sounds a lot, a little overblown to me, but nevertheless, a lot of talk about it. But, you know, as much as we're talking about it here in the United States, very worth noting that the real thing could be looming in Ethiopia. Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed has sent troops into the northern region of Tigray in Ethiopia, where tensions between the local government there, the regional government, I should say, and the central government have been simmering for some months. Now, these tensions are related to to decades, longer than decades, very long-running issues in Ethiopia. The important thing to know about this, Ethiopia as we know it today was formed out of an empire in that same region area where the ruling monarchy and the largest ethnic group was the Amhara people who from the point of view of the monarchy, at least, oppressed other ethnic groups, including the Tigray, also the Oromo people. And since that time, really resolving these ethnic issues and the marginalization uh, that has resulted from it has eluded pretty much every government so far. After the fall of a socialist government in the early 1990s, a political party that was based in the Tigrayan region took power, but then they also started sidelining the other ethnic groups, meaning that the issue has just continued. The current prime minister, Abiy Ahmed, though, has raised a lot of hopes amongst people in Ethiopia and the broader Ethiopian diaspora as well, because one of his main issues has been ethnic and cultural reconciliation. And to be honest, he's had some success. He's, he's cut some deals with some uh, opposition figures. So there's been some movement on that ground. But nevertheless, serious clashes have been taking place over the past year or so, really since he's ascended to office as it concerns both Tigray and the Oromo regions. And it all boiled up quite a bit recently here. Tigray had regional elections when the central government said they shouldn't have them. Then they allegedly were trying to steal some weapons from the military. Then there were some clashes uh, between the military and some of the, the, the Tigrayan forces. And now Prime Minister Ahmed has declared a six-month uh, state of emergency that will be governed by someone who's appointed by him. So they'll control the whole, the whole territory. They will govern it from the central regions. Who knows where this will all lead? But we can say that Ethiopia's problems absolutely reflect serious challenges, similar to more than a few countries, quite frankly, where national oppression and national development issues have been very difficult to overcome, particularly in the context of imperialist machinations, which are doing everything possible to keep countries weak and divided. 
Well, it got lost in all the U.S. election news, but there is major news out of China, namely that the government in China has postponed the IPO that's going public, going onto the stock market of Ant Group, which was slated to be the largest IPO in world history and whose joint listing in Hong Kong and Shanghai was set to be a big boost to China's capital markets, especially Shanghai. Now, given the implications here, the world was certainly shocked and left wondering, well, what happened? And it all seems to come down to the issue of regulation. Now, Ant Group poses as a tech company. Its main business is facilitating electronic financial transactions. It makes money not only through providing the services themselves, but they also take a cut of the interest rates that is paid on the loans made through their platforms. Their technologies have become essentially ubiquitous in China and are the sinews that bring together wide swaths of the economy. Something like one in 10 of the loans that are made have some relationship to Ant Group. One of the main issues then with investors who were you know, looking into IPO was, well, how are they going to regulate the company? Is it going to be like a financial institution where in China and many other places, but certainly in China, there's much more stringent regulations or a tech company where it's a little bit looser. Now, Ant executives have been out in the public stating for some months now that they felt like they should not be regulated like a bank, that they're really a tech company, you know, essentially making the case for themselves. The Chinese government, though, was not having it. They had already been tightening restrictions on micro lending in the most general sense in ways that, by the way, were already affecting Ant Group. And they called the executives in and they said, look, you are a financial institution and we are going to regulate you as such. And they postponed the IPO. Ant Group sort of threw a little bit of a temper tantrum. They're giving people back their money, uh, obviously trying to leverage against the government. But it's very obvious what's happening here from the government perspective. Ant Group obviously has tremendous incentive to promote reckless lending of all types because they get a cut of profit from the interest without taking any of the risk. So they could, in fact, create massive destruction in people's lives by promoting totally unsustainable debt bubbles that could crash the entire economy. But yet they would walk away from the rubble with huge profits. Chinese government, though, didn't like that didn't like what they saw and decided that they were willing to strike a major blow against the country's number one, really the flagship international company of China, and by far the most famous billionaire, the head of Ant Group, Jack Ma. And that's actually not that rare in China, where prominent capitalists and companies are routinely taken down a peg by the government to make it clear that the Communist Party, not capitalist markets, really runs the country. So not only is it a big story on its own in the tech world, in the financial world, and geopolitics, Politics, but it's also a key example of what's really going on with China's social model. They beat COVID while taking care of people's basic needs. Yes, that's right. They beat COVID and they didn't have to kick people out on the street. They are investing trillions of dollars to improve people's lives and create jobs in the wake of the pandemic. And they are also more than willing to take an axe to any big business in the country if it seems like they are going the wrong way as it concerns people's needs. Now, it's not like China's perfect. Of course, there's many things we could say. But for sure, it's not the monster you hear about in the U.S. and the Western media. And quite frankly, the U.S. could learn quite a bit from the way they're running things over there. And that's going to do it for us here on The Punch Out today, Tuesday, the 4th of November. Just a reminder, 9.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will be back live here at Breakthrough News, breaking down everything we know about the election at that time. Great guests, great analysis, no corporate spin. But that will do it for us here today on The Punch Out.